0: We close our Psalm 1 journey here. Um, Let's turn to Psalm 1. If you've been here for all three studies, awesome if you haven't. Um, They also stand alone pretty well. I think uh, Psalm 1 will be focusing on verses 5 and 6, but it doesn't hurt to read the entire Psalm again. So I'll read it, and then we will pray. And hopefully the boys will be quieter. Thank you, Daniela. Here we go, Psalm chapter one, verse one. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God. Um, Again, we thank you for the treasure trove that is this psalm. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, God, in it. Lord, for the ways that you have been speaking to me, Lord, and prayerfully to all the ladies, God. We just pray now that this time would be fruitful, that this time would be a blessing, Lord. Again, that you would speak to our hearts in a mighty way. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... If I had to title this teaching, it would be titled, The Lord Knows. And that's what really stuck out to me um, as I was going through these last couple of verses. I'll put that on. Do not disturb. Okay. So verses five and six, we'll read them again. Therefore, the ungodly. Therefore, the ungodly (laughs) shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So first we have to focus in on verse five before we can get to that um, beautiful, beautiful verse six. Verse five um, really gives us a picture of, of heaven, of who's going to be there and who's not gonna be there, right? So that word judgment, uh, in verse 5, that you see, it's also translated, at least in the King James, it's translated to the word manner, to the word right or cause, an ordinance or a sentence. Again, you think about a judgment seat, the ordinance set by the judge, the sentence, right? The cause being brought before a judge. And that word, that phrase, congregation of the righteous, is speaking of heaven. If we think about it, nowhere here on earth is a complete pure congregation of the righteous. Not until we get to heaven are we all going to be perfectly like-minded. And that's a good reminder for us, even as we thought about last week about uh, being planted and growing. You know, the truth of the matter is the Lord allows tares to grow with wheat. He allows dross to be mingled with gold. Even in amongst us, right, we all might be saved. We all might have a knowledge of God. Um, my prayer would be that all of us would eventually make it to the congregation of the righteous, but, but there's never that 100%, even in a church setting, even in a small group setting. Um, but there will come a time when we're in glory, where we're with the pure congregation of the righteous. Um, and at that day, um, I think most of you might know this, uh, there will be a judgment for us. Where we stand before our Maker and we desire to hear him say, What are those faithful words? Well done, good and faithful servant. And so, what this um, verse is saying is, The ungodly shall not stand in that place. Sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous when we're in heaven. And it's been interesting to think about. uh, I think I first heard it from Zach, but um, when you think about heaven, you know, and you think about people that love sin, they love to sin, they love to be in sinful places, heaven's not going to be a comfortable place for them anyway. If they're here on earth and they're rejecting everything that is light, they're not going to be comfortable in heaven. And so it's a good reminder for us, what are what is our heart drawn to? What is What are the things that we are drawn to? Are they things of darkness or are they things of light? Because I will give you a good indication. If you don't enjoy coming here and worshiping, chances are you're not gonna enjoy heaven, right? But if this is a breath of fresh air for you, if being amongst sisters in Christ is an encouragement to you, take heart because eventually we will be in that congregation of the righteous. I heard a, a friend of mine that um, lives far away, uh, a pastor friend, he said, you know, every time we get to see people we haven't seen in a long time, especially believers, it's like, oh, it's so exciting or it's so fun, right? When we go to the ranch or we have different retreats, we're like, oh, Just wanna stay here, we wanna stay in this place. And how exciting that in heaven we will. There won't have to be any goodbyes, there will be no more death, no more sorrow. But this is a huge warning because there will be a day again for every person to stand before Jesus Christ. Uh, Write down Luke 21, 36. I'll read it for you. Again, Luke 21, 36. It says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Ladies, the only way that we're going to have the confidence to stand before the Son of Man is if we are dressed in his righteousness. The ungodly can't do that. There is no way. For those, you go again in verse 1, that walk in the counsel of the ungodly, that stand in the way of sinners, that sit in the seat of the scornful, the ones that we talked about last week, they're like the chaff that the wind drives away. They have one fate ahead of them in eternity. And this should be sobering for us. Write down uh, Matthew 7, 16 to 23. I'm actually going to turn there if you're quick you can turn with me and again just very sobering portions of scripture at the end of this psalm right we've been talking so much about our life and our walk and the day-to-day but looking at the end of our lives Matthew 7 starting in verse 16 I I wanted to start later but I thought man there's so much goodness in here especially talking about the tree planted read verse 16 with me it says ye shall know them by their fruits do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. By their fruits you shall know them. Verse 21, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name we've cast out devils. In your name we've done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I have a Spurgeon quote here that says, they shall stand there to be judged and not to be acquitted. Fear shall lay hold upon them there. They shall not stand their ground. They shall flee away. They shall not stand in their own defense for they shall blush and be covered with eternal contempt. You know, when we thought about chaff, right? We talked about how uh, back in that day, you would throw the chaff up, right? The wheat would fall, but the chaff would just be blown away. It was weightless. It was meaningless. Just with one toss, the the wind could drive it away, um, and it reminded me of Daniel five twenty seven. You guys know the story well, if you know the word, when Daniel gives the interpretation to King Belshazzar, who's been very evil king, the translation of that word tekel, right, in the, in the interpretation that was on the wall, it says, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. And that is what will happen to the ungodly. They will not be able to stand in the judgment. They're going to be found lacking, Right. If you are caught up with every little thing that comes by, like the chaff, like the wind, um, this is your fate. This is the fate of the ungodly. But, verse 6, which is what I really wanted to get to tonight, what is the fate of the righteous? Verse 6 says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And I had such a sweet time, ladies, this mourning. I really spent a lot of time just dwelling on this idea that my promise, if I delight in the Lord, if I don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, if I do all of the things that Psalm 1 tells me to do, my reward is that my Lord will know me. Um, So we're actually going to be mostly in Psalm 139. If you can turn there with me, just a, a handful of pages in your Bible. Again, focusing on this idea that the Lord knows me. And I'm going to let you turn there. I'm going to encourage you to just maybe put your notebook down for a second. Put the phone down for one second. I'm just going to read through the entirety of this psalm. I just want you to listen. Follow with your eyes on your Bible. But allow this to sink in. Because again, so many of us at our church, we've heard it before. We know what it says. Um, But in context of God knowing me. Uh, let's listen to this beautiful psalm written by one of my favorites, David. Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising, and thou understandest my, fo- my thoughts afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O oh Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Verse seven, where shall I go from thy spirit? And where shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting and lord i just i pray right now god if if nothing else sticks lord that these girls would know lord the comfort the consolation the blessing of knowing that you know us lord you know us intimately lord you love us with an everlasting love jesus God, I pray again that you would just help my words, God, as I attempt to um, feebly explain, Lord, how you know us, God. I pray that they would walk away um, with just that depth, that understanding, that uh, sense of awe that the almighty God knows us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I have four main parts that we're going to look at through this psalm. about the Lord's knowledge of us. So the first one is that the Lord knows me, very simply. That verse one, thou hast searched me, you can think of an investigation. <laughs> this means to seek out, diligently, to search it out. And what a humbling thing to think about, that the Lord would search me and investigate me and know so much about my life. This is this one of these um, verses and portions of scriptures that has that um, juxtaposition of how comforting, but also that's a little bit scary that he knows all of it. He has thoroughly investigated all of us and knows us. Uh, I love verse two and it says, You understand my thoughts afar off. And I have been here, ladies, and I'm sure many of you have been here, right? When your thoughts make no sense, when there's like an idea in there that's not fully formed. um, Sometimes when your mind is far away from your reality, the Lord knows. He sees it. Right before you're going to respond to the thing that the person's going to say, he understands. He knows exactly where you're at with that. Verse three, he knows our path, my path and my lying down. So whether we're on the go and we're busy, right? Whether we have a full day ahead of us, we've got all of our to-do lists, we've got a full day of school and then church or work or our lying down, literally, right? If we're just resting for the day, he knows exactly the spot on the couch that you love to lay on when you wanna rest. He knows exactly how you sleep, He knows all of it, and he knows it intricately. He studied it. Again, it says, there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, oh Lord, you know it all together. And again, how humbling (laughs) that every single word that is on my tongue, sometimes it doesn't even come out necessarily, but it's there, and it's formulating those conversations in your head that you have that never manifest into reality, but they still feel really good while you're stewing in them. He knows them. He knows them all. He knows for you uh, married ladies, he knows, he knows the reaction, the words you're going to say when you walk in at home and you're hoping that your husband did all of the things that you asked him to do and he didn't do them and exactly that response that's going to come out. Or again, your mom is texting you that thing over and over again and you're just, ugh, you're in that ugh, moment. He knows. He knows every word and recently, I've actually had um, a couple of moments where I've stumbled over my words or I've failed to express my thoughts clearly. And that's such a frustrating place to be, right? Where you've got, you've got something to communicate, but you're just not sure how. Maybe you're in a, a college class, right? And a, a professor's intimidating or um, you have someone that continues to nag and bother you and you want to say this thing, but you just can't formula, formula, uh, see, can't either, formulate the words, or maybe you did, you worked really hard on formulating that, those words, or that text, or that voice message, and you're still misunderstood. They take one part of it, and they run with it, and they completely miscategorize your intentions, and how frustrating that is, but how comforting to know the Lord never misunderstands us. Never. He always knows exactly what we mean, even before we form the sentence. How humbling, how comforting, also how scary. Because David is the one writing this, right? And David is the one that um, said, who's that woman, right? David is the one that heard, it's Uriah's wife. And the words, the next words on his mouth were what? Bring her to me. This is the same David that penned the letter that's signed for Uriah's death. It's the same David. And he's sitting here saying, Lord, there's not a word. You know it altogether. The Lord knew exactly what David's intentions were when he did that. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly um, the sin that was blinding him. The Lord knows it altogether. But at the same time, he was the same God that when David said, who is that giant? That defiles my God. He knew those words and he knew the courage behind him. And that's why he gave him the strength. Ladies, it should be a comfort that the Lord never misunderstands us. Um, Because you may get to a point where you feel like there is nobody in this world that truly understands. Or I just can't communicate. I just can't be clear with what I'm trying to say. Uh, I have an issue. I have a problem. Not before the Lord, you don't. Right? There are, there's a verse, I can't remember where it is, but it says even in, in groanings to be uttered, right? Those moments when we're sitting before him, we're just like, oh, I don't even know, Lord. I don't even have the words to say. That's okay. He knows. Um, and what a blessing that is. Verse five, I'm gonna read it in the New King James. It says, you have hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. When I was thinking this immediately, that hedge behind and before, um, I thought of two things, one scenario is I thought of Ella and Lukey, those nights where both of them think they're going to sneak into the bed, and I am hedged very tightly between these little tiny bodies that they just, they go to the heat, and so I'm laying like this and I cannot move, because they're just, they're just wanting that warmth, they're just wanting mom in those moments. Um, and then the other scenario that's probably more likely is Lukey, my youngest. He loves to come into the room, I don't even know how he sees it, It's so dark, and he jumps right perfectly in the middle of Zach and me, he snuggles in there, and he's just like, <clears throat> and this late, latest thing, I go, Papo, you need to sleep in your own bed, and he goes, oh, I just love you so much. <gasps> what? How? Like, am I supposed to say no after that? Um... But I just think in his own little heart and mind, there is no safer place for him than that one little spot on our bed between mom and dad. You know, and it's so humbling to think that's the Lord with me, right? That I can crawl right into that spot and I can be hedged behind and before, right? There is no safer place than in that spot with my Lord. And so it's just so humbling to think You know, it says, you've laid your hand upon me. And the Bible has a lot to say about the hands of God, right? Psalm 8 verse 3 says, when I consider the work of your fingers, right? We're not even, we're not even at the whole hand yet. The work of his fingers, the moon, the stars. Wait a second, the moon and the stars are the work of his fingers, right? We have it in other contexts, Exodus 8, 19, when um, the plagues are coming, and Pharaoh tells his magicians, come on, do the same thing, and they can't, and they say, this is the finger of God. All of these things is just the finger of God, and yet David says that that whole hand is laid upon him. So what's the proper response after that? Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me It is high. I cannot attain it. When we think about, again, the the power of the finger of the Lord, and yet David can say, he's laid his whole hand upon me. I am so safe. His whole hand has covered me. The only response I have is, "I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I cannot fathom this depth of love. Ladies, he knows me. And he chooses to stay with me. Have you ever um, been in an encounter with someone? Maybe you're at a new job, and um, you have like a habit that's not really like it's kind of annoying, and you know it's annoying, but it's a habit. So you're like, I just as long as I stay here and I don't, they don't get to know me too much, or that habit doesn't come out, I'll be good. Or maybe vice versa, right? Maybe, maybe you meet someone, you're like, man, I click so well with this person. You're hanging with them, and all of a sudden, they have a, a thing, right? Or. They really love to gossip or, they, you know, the stuff that they talk about and you're just like, whoa, okay, the more I get to know about this person, I, th- I think I want to step away. I think we've all experienced that and have been on the other side. I really hope that my, my ick doesn't come out in this relationship because I want it to work. And if this person really knew who I was, they probably wouldn't want to stick around me. That's not the Lord. He knows us intimately, and yet he stays. Think about that right? There are many times where we are fearful, right? We want to cage ourselves in from someone fully knowing us because if they really knew the depths of our hearts, I think of that song, you know the depth of my heart and you love me the same. How? How is it that he knows the depth of our sinfulness and he says, yeah, that's the one I want. I want her. I want to know her intimately. I'm sure that's where the angels just go, I don't, I don't get it, Lord, but okay, (laughs) they must marvel at his love for us that he would know you and then say, yep, yeah, I'm sticking with her. She's one of mine. Let that bring you comfort, girls. Number two of this section is that the Lord is always with me. So one, he knows me, and two, he is always with me. This is verse seven through 12. The first one, I don't know if I mentioned was verse one through six. Um, and I know that I've asked you girls a lot in this study where are you last week we've asked um, what season are you in are you a winter spring summer fall where are you where are you at at this moment when I read this I, I see again that there's no escaping his, his, um, his presence where shall I go from your spirit where shall I flee from your presence if I ascend to the heavens you're there If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And it made me think of Job. Wasn't Job in this place, right? Right? Job's path was like making his bed in hell. He said it, he was in a dark place. The darkness, like verse 11 says, was covering him. Job was in a season when he writes his book that he did not sense the Lord's presence at all. But what does Job say? Write down Job 23:10. It says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So even in those dark places, again, if you relate to a winter, like we talked about last week, you're in a desert place. You're not sensing the voice of the Lord. Um, And remember, Job didn't sense the voice of the Lord either. The Lord was right there making sure Job didn't sense him for this season. He allowed the enemy to come into his life to test him, to try him and Job says he knows he knows the way that I take Job was confident in that had Job been the ungodly he would have been as the chaff we know that right if it would have been anybody else the, the enemy was not interested in testing anyone else cuz he knew right away for sure they would reject God and and Satan was pretty confident with all that he threw at Job he was going to reject God but Job was not like the chaff, right? He was that tree. He was planted. Sure, he had, he had a lot of moments of doubt. He had a lot of moments of difficulty. But he said, when the Lord has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and that right hand thy right hand shall hold me, verse 10 says. Um, I have written in my Bible here, when everything else is far, you are near. To think when everything else feels out of our grasp, Ladies, when there's nothing that we are controlling in life, everything is out of our control. Those days, he promises to be near. And so take hold of that. That is a promise, again, for the blessed woman, for the girl that is delighting herself in the law of the Lord. When everything else is far, he is near. All right, number three. So we have um, the Lord knows me. The Lord is always with me and the Lord made me. This is verse 13 through 18. Verse 13 says, you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Again, how personal and how intricate this is. Um, And I will take this moment, because we're at this verse, to say, ladies, for the Christian woman, there's no room for any kind of belief in abortion. This verse says that you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. We cannot give in to the lie that says, under specific circumstances, like rape or incest, we can justify killing that which God is currently knitting. In that moment, God is knitting. He is personal and he is involved in that process. And so I just encourage you, again, um, the world loves to give us the, the fringe examples, loves to give us the fringe. What about this? What about that? Which are horrible, horrible scenarios that I would not wish on anybody. However, if God is knitting, who am I? Who are we to remove that life? And again, you know, if any of you have gone through that, If any of you have gone through an abortion, there is forgiveness and there is redemption at the cross. You know, if any of you have gone through maybe a miscarriage, I don't know. Um, I went through a miscarriage after Levi. Um, I know that that little baby that was knit in my womb for that short time, I will meet again. I will meet in heaven. And there is a promise, there is a blessing for that, even for those... um, that have been, had been lied to and followed through with an abortion. There is forgiveness and there's redemption at the cross and the Lord can wipe that clean. He can wash your mind of that memory. He can wash your heart of that. Never is this, um, this debate or this hot topic issue to condemn the woman that is going through a hard time. And I always wanna clarify that because I couldn't even imagine being in that kind of situation, that kind of circumstance. There's redemption but God is knitting a little tiny life, right? And who are we to cut that off? It also says skillfully, skillfully wrought in verse, um, where is that? Yeah, verse 15, skillfully wrought. The translation of that phrase skillfully wrought is intricately embroidered. Anybody a sewer or a, you know, a embroider, you know, that, that tricky work of embroidery think about how intricate that process is that is the process with which the the lord makes us um you know in creation you see the lord spoke and he spoke and he spoke and he spoke but then with man he took the dust how personal he is right that he forms us like this David saw all the facets of how God made him, right? And when we think of David, he's a singer, he's a songwriter. It even says that he invented instruments. He's a shepherd, he was a warrior, he was a king. He saw all the different ways that God made him and he praised him for it. And so this is something I think that is challenging for us as women. When was the last time you praised God for how he made you? Think about it. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and said, Lord, you've made me like this, and I thank you. Are our prayers to him only complaints for what he hasn't made you? Lord, if you had only given me this, or if I was only like this, or if I only looked like this, or if I didn't have maybe this difficulty, maybe a learning disability, maybe a health issue, can you thank God for how he has made you because this Psalm says he intricately wove you he had a specific purpose he had a specific face he had a specific gifting in mind when he did that and we should not despise those things we should not despise it in others and we should not despise them in ourselves ladies I believe that as Christian women, we shouldn't be prideful, but we should be some of the most confident women walking around. Not out of pride, not out of, you know, understanding how awesome we are, but understanding what God has made and praising him for it. You know, do you walk around with your head down low? Are you you nervous to make eye contact with people because you don't want that interaction? Or um, do you feel yourself less worthy because you look a certain way? Again, maybe there's a a learning disability that you have. Maybe there is a physical ailment that plagues you day after day. I Think of Johnny Erickson Tata. If you've never listened to anything from Johnny Erickson Tata, um, you can just even look up her last name, T-A-D-A. Uh, she is a paraplegic and she praises God for her sickness for her being in a wheelchair because it has given her the platform to spread the word of God further than she ever could have being healthy and being able to walk on her own two feet and so let's praise God of course we're not going to be masochists right I understand that it is difficult these things are difficult but what did Paul say? He said, I am going to glory in my infirmity, that the power of God may rest upon me. We should be the most confident of women. We should walk into a room confidently. You should not be afraid to make eye contact with people. That's how we spread the gospel. How can we spread the gospel if we're not confident? If we walk around, again, with our heads down, slouch, which is not good posture, ladies. How can we spread the gospel, spread the truth, tell people, this is why I'm confident not because of myself but because of who God is if we don't own how he has made us and what he wants to do through us so he's intricately designed us for himself and we should praise him for that so if you haven't done that recently even if it's difficult even if you think well there's not a lot to praise for check again check your heart read this again David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. I'm one of your works. (laughs) That my soul knows full well. Verse 16 says, thine eyes did see my substance. Right? It was down in secret, in, in in the secret place God saw David being knit. When David was in the secret place, when he was hiding in the cave of Adullam, God saw him. God knew his every single thought. Is that Saul? Is he going to get me? He's there. Should I kill him? Should I not? They're telling me to kill him. What do I do? Cut his robe off. No, I shouldn't have cut his robe Right? Like David is one of these guys that really, his brain goes all over the place. We could see that in the Psalms. I'm grateful for it because so does mine. And the Lord knows him. He sees his substance. He sees all of those secret places. And yet he chooses him. Joe Foch says, in the end, it doesn't matter how many men have seen us. What matters then is if we've done business with Almighty God. When we stand before the Lord, it doesn't matter what anybody else says, what anybody else has seen, what other men have um, given glory to. Does Jesus see you? Can you stand before him face to face, confidently, looking at him um, in his eyes, seeing only love? You can if you believe that he truly wants to know you but again ladies if we if we always shrink back any moment that we get to spread the gospel right or any moment that we get to be a witness for him or any moment that we feel man maybe I should pray for this person we can't look them in the eye and do that confidently um what are we ashamed of why are we shrinking back in those moments um Verse 17 and 18, uh, How precious are your thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand of the sea. When I awake, I am still with thee. Turn with me real quick to Matthew 10. Keep your finger in Psalm because we'll go back. But Matthew 10. And we'll actually get to this probably soon on Sunday mornings. Um, This is just, again, one of those intimate portions of Scripture. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father, but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Think about that, not one bird not one little annoying bird that maybe you ran over or crashes into your window, right? Again, Zach talked about how these sparrows are they are not really that smart of animals. <laughs> but not one falls and dies without the Lord knowing. And then he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. They're not counted. Like she's got 180,000, she's... Got they are numbered. So like when you go like this, he's like, there goes number 4,572. And there goes, like he has, like each of them have a number. That is how intricately involved he is in your life. Think about that next time you're like, oh my gosh, I'm losing my hair, especially my prayers goes. As a mom, I think about how often I sit and run my hand through my little one's hair when I was nursing them, right? And they'd finish and they'd fall asleep and they had no idea what was happening, but I noticed everything about them, right? Every single time a new little freckle came out or um, what's that, that wasn't there before, you're examining all weird places you never thought you'd examine, (laughs) picking boogers. That is the heart of a mom. You know your baby, you know them intimately, and that is the Lord imagine how intricately he knows us that he would number right numbering this um his thoughts are more than the sand which mankind still has yet to be able to count they still can't really figure out an estimate but in one teaching i heard it was something like 10 to the 25th power amount of any math people i'm not a person i don't know what that means but that is how the lord thinks of us how intricately involved he is. So I'm back to Psalm 139. Last one, number four. So the Lord knows me. The Lord is always with me. The Lord made me, number three. And number four, the Lord leads me. Verses 19 through 24. If I am honest, part of me wanted to like eliminate the like bloodthirsty hating parks. I'm like, oh, this Psalm is so pretty. And then David goes off with his like warrior lingo did you do that but in studying this part is actually very important in this section uh pastor joe foch says the measure we love god is the same measure that we will hate evil and that's what this section is about verses 19 through 24 again I'll, I'll repeat that the measure we love god is the same measure that we will hate evil David says, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Whoever is an enemy of God, that's my enemy. As David grew closer to the heart of the Lord, he had a stronger hatred, a perfect hatred. Not for his enemies. Watch his language. It's not for his enemies, but for the Lord's enemies. Often those we consider our enemies are the very people that need our love and our prayer more than our hatred. So this is a specific one here for David. He's talking about the Lord's enemies. He's not talking about bringing vengeance upon his enemies. Perfect hatred should be reserved for God's enemies. What does Jesus say about our enemies? Matthew 5 verse 44, just write it down. Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And so again, as as David is growing in this psalm and his love for God, how you love me, how you've woven me, how you've seen my substance being yet formed. Lord, I hate what you hate because you love me with this everlasting love. How could I not? If I'm so close to the Lord, if he's so near to me, how could I not hate the things that he hates, the things that bring him shame, the things that bring him, um, excuse me, uh, heartbreak? How could I not? If I am so close to my husband and I know that he hates mushrooms, he doesn't, but just, if he hates them. If there's an aversion, if every time he sees them, he's... Ugh, How? How am I going to bring that in my house if I love him? If I'm close to him, that also means, okay, fine, no mushrooms for me. It's a dumb analogy, but you get the picture, right? As we grow closer to the Lord, as we grow closer to his heart, we should be hating the things that he hates. But the greater truth of this section is found in verse 23 and 24. The greater truth was that David wanted to be delivered from being the Lord's enemy. So he prays, search me and know me. See if there is any wicked way in me. God, I hate what you hate. And if I look like any of that, if there is any part of me that's inside, because I know that you see it, if there's any part of me that is wicked, I don't want it. Because you hate it. And how can I hold on to something so close that God hates? That is David's heart and his prayer in this section. Which is why I warmed up to it. And I read it. And I went through it. I love how the psalm ends. Ladies, search me, O God, and know my heart. What does verse 1 say? O Lord, you have searched me and know me. So then he finishes, so Lord, search me and know me. Right? The Lord has already done it. But Lord, don't stop. Don't stop searching me and knowing me, seeing if there is any wicked way in me. David knew the wickedness of his own heart, and so he desired the Lord would try him, would cleanse him, and would lead him in the way everlasting. Jot down this verse, Galatians 4, 9. But know, after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how do you turn back to the weak and beggarly elements where you desire to be in bondage again? Here Paul is exhorting the Galatians, wait a second, you know God. Actually, no, wait, you're known of God. How are you turning back to the things that kept you in bondage? And so I ask you the same thing, girls. You know God. You are known of God. How? How do we turn back to the things that, keep, that have kept us in bondage? Think about those things. What are the things that still keep you in bondage? If there's a wicked way in you, the Lord sees it, right? We went through it. He sees it. He knows it. But he hates the wickedness. So David says, okay, Lord, then I want to hate it too. What you hate, Lord, I want to hate. Girls, does the fact that the Lord knows you, does that fill you with comfort or does that fill you with dread? Are there still places in your life where you think, oh, not, not this, not this. This is my thing. This is my me thing. This is where, you know, nobody else knows about it. I have a secret browser or I have a secret bank account that I, you know, spend here or whatever, whatever it is, whatever silly little indulgence that satisfies our flesh, whatever, whatever the show is, whatever the music is. Are we willing to say, Lord, search me and know me? If it's wicked, I want to hate it, like you hate it. This is not legalism, girls. This is not being the perfect Christian and always having the perfect life and always, you know, it's, it's a love relationship with God. It's God saying, I know you. When your thoughts are afar off, I know. When you're trying to make your bed in hell so nobody can see it, I know, I know. So why not just say, okay, Lord, <laughs> then no, go ahead, please examine me, try me, see my heart, know my, know my thoughts is also translated, know my anxieties. Every single time that the pit of your stomach drops, the Lord knows that he sees it, he understands it, even when nobody else does. So be open, be open before him. I was so blessed, as I told you, just studying through this and reading through different teachings of it. And then when I actually sat for my morning devotional, I was in Jeremiah, verse 12 and 3, and you'll never believe what it says. It says, but thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried my heart toward thee. And so in this whole beautiful Psalm 1, the blessed, oh, how happy, blessed, blessed, blessed woman, the ultimate promise for her Is a lot of really good fruit? Yeah. Is a great location being planted by that stream of water? Yeah, great. Bringing forth fruit, leaf never withers. But ultimately, the promise is that God would know you intimately. What greater promise could we have from the Father that he would be intricately involved in our life? And what is our response to this? My response to this is my life verse which is Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. If God has stooped so low to know me so intricately, <laughs> I want to soar the depths of who he is. I want to know him. And that verse says in the resurrection power, which sounds really good. I'd love the resurrection power, but it also says in the fellowship of his sufferings. That fellowship of his sufferings. Hating what he hates, right? Right? I think about when Jesus was you know, being whipped, putting that crown of thorns, and if I'm get, wanting to get to know him, wanting to be near to him, inevitably, there might be a lash that hits me too, on that whip. Eventually, the thorns, if I'm close enough to my Lord, the thorns are gonna come. But what is that, to knowing my maker, to knowing him in the fellowship of his suffering, and then getting to know him in the power of his resurrection. That word "know" in the Philippians three is a Greek word "Gnosco," which sounds like what Spanish word. Gnosco, very good. It means to know intimately to grow acquainted with, to understand, and to know of a certainty that I may know him intimately, that I may grow acquainted with him, that I may understand him, that I may know of a certainty who he is. We'll never get there though, girls. Think about the the angels around the throne of heaven. They've got one song. Holy, holy, holy holy and they never get tired of singing it because every time they realize another facet of God when we are in eternity and we find out we're continuing to plunge the depths of who he is all we're going to be able to say is holy 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 that word no that word "gnosko," it's the same word used though in Matthew 7:23 when Jesus said I never knew you it's the same word And so Psalm 1, it's so clear. These two positions, these two people, these two paths that we are to take. There's the ungodly, right? There's the chaff, the seed of the scornful we talked about. Um, And there's the way of knowing God and having him know you intimately. You have the choice each and every day as you are making your life choices, as you, as you are deciding, I don't know if I have time to read my Bible today, which I, I guarantee you, you do. You do have the time. I don't know, it's you know, my only time, this isn't the hour I get off. I, can, you know, I just wanna sit and veg. Remember, he knows you're lying down. He knows it. Grab your Bible, ladies. Go outside, sit with the fact that God knows you and he sticks around. He doesn't leave and say, oh, well, I didn't see that part of her. I got to go. He doesn't say that. He knows you.